I'm European champion, so I'm not one of of the bottle. I'm a, I think I'm a special one. Danny Elvis has said that um, you're his best ever coach, and, and to quote him, he said it was better than sex, his experience of you coaching him. I'm just wondering what you thought of that. I prefer the sex. <laughs> when I first started watching soccer, uh, Mourinho and Guardiola, Real Madrid, Barcelona, those were the games to watch. I was in a pizza restaurant when I looked up and saw a replay of Real Madrid, Barcelona, and the score was five Barcelona, nil Real Madrid. But the two managers were these two super charismatic, very different looking fellows. Of course, that was Guardiola and Mourinho, legends of the games. And for the last 10 years, it seems that they've all it's been all we've talked about. This is a different Heads in the Game podcast because it's Turner and I, just the two of us, back to the roots of the genre. And we're here to talk about two managers whose careers have defined much of 21st century football. Their teams have been the most successful over the two decades. Guardiola dominating the 2010s, Mourinho dominating the latter half of the 2000s. And this Saturday, and they play in a match that is really the tale of two fortunes. Manchester City sit top of the league on a record winning streak after starting the season in shocking form. And Tottenham sit in seeming despair in eighth, not looking possible challengers for the title anymore, not looking like challengers for any trophy after getting knocked out of the FA Cup by Everton. And, you know, the Europa League is still there, but not exactly something Mourinho is getting talked about. So Turner is here to talk with me about these two managers. And, you know, for the two of us who, you know, you started watching football before me, but what was your first impression of this Mourinho guy? You know, for you, he started as a rival and has always been a rival. He's always managed Arsenal's greatest rivals. He's never managed Arsenal, but this arrogant Portuguese manager who came into the league with guns a blazing and embarked on the most successful team, Chelsea team of all time and sort of changed the landscape. So I want to, what, what were you first doing when this Jose Mourinho burst onto the scene? Well, I was, I mean, preparing for this podcast, I was thinking about uh, my first memories of the two uh, and their greatness. Uh, I would have to say, in all honesty, uh, I don't remember anything about Mourinho before before Madrid. If I if I were to be truly honest in terms of when I remember seeing him on the sidelines for a team, his Chelsea his first Chelsea spell, uh, I have no memory of. Um, and that Madrid I mean, team, we were four through seven years old. So this is understandable. Well, yeah, but, I mean, what it finished uh, in oh nine oh eight oh nine oh eight oh eight oh eight oh seven oh eight was his last season at Chelsea uh, for for that first period. Anyway, uh, so yes, of course, and I don't remember his interspell too much Italian football. Well, if anything, probably I I may have I don't remember it, but my first ever team I supported was AC Milan because my friend Diego. Uh, his dad, his uncle, uh, was like a, a, a season ticket holder, and he got me a, a Thiago Silva jersey from AC Milan in 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 '09. Uh, that's a little ad, ad anecdote, but my first Mourinho memory had to have been Madrid, and it, it's it's interesting because when you look at Mourinho, we won't focus too much on the tactical side of of their games, although of course it it, it has to come up when when talking about the two, but Mourinho being labeled as uh, the defensive coach I, I just think also when I was younger watching with Madrid they didn't really wherewithal or the knowledge of the game to to analyze uh, uh, the tactics but you just thought about that that Madrid side with Ronaldo with Benzema Maria with Ozil with uh, Ramos CS uh, Marcelo in his prime I mean, you just thought about the attacking. You didn't think about the defensive parts of the game. I, I just, I all you, all you think about was Ronaldo. Uh, that that Real Madrid side, for, at least for me. From what I, I remember watching El Clasico, it was all about Ronaldo, and, and what he was gonna do. The attacking part of the game was so was so was was it entirely reliant on these key figures and these creative and just magnificent players that you didn't really look. I don't know. The Barcelona Madrid games didn't ever feel like to me. They were, they did, and, and again, it, it probably is because I was, I was 10, <laughs> but they just felt like 
Ronaldo versus Messi, attacking power versus attacking power. Uh, and and, it, and you didn't really look at, at at what each manager was trying to do. Again, I I I I credit that with with my uh, my youth, but um, that was my first memory. Of Mourinho had to have been um, his 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 time at Madrid, and 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 his ruthlessness and his funny interviews and and the will that his willingness to I mean that has always been something that I've tied with Mourinho. Is his, 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 he, he he talks. All these managers are forced to essentially say nothing, you know, when I, like, I mean, interviews at this point are pointless. Uh, you, Arteta goes out there, they ask about a transfer, and he's like, you know, we can't say anything about him. Or like, they ask about um, the recent uh, poor performance, and they, they, they won't give it like it is. They'll just boil it down to, we played well, we did what I wanted to do. But, but Mourinho will hang his players out to dry. He, he's, he's ruthless in that way, and he does it consistently and he does it with every single team and and that's something you have to respect because it's rare you don't you don't see it and of course he gets slated but I don't know I've I've always I've always loved that about him uh and also love that he wasn't our coach right uh I think that's a, a big part that he was always doing these ridiculous antics for another team especially when it was teams that Arsenal were coming into direct conflict with and so that's especially when there was when he was out of uh, a job and Tottenham and Arsenal were in that poor spell last year. We chose, uh, we chose Arteta. They chose Mourinho. There are rumors for Mourinho's head. They, people, some Arsenal fans wanted Mourinho at the club due to his, his notorious uh, winning capabilities. And, and, and he is a serial winner. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of those a- like to act like we I remember watching Porto mm. in that Champions League, but no, 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 <laughs> actually, like, exactly, exactly, one of those games, and and we just know it as an achievement. It's like when you look at the Champions League title holders, you still see Nottingham Forest, you still see Stowe Boker, Bucharest and uh, Red Star Belgrade, and then you see Porto, and of course back then it makes it seem like anyone could have won it, but for a, in the in the 21st century for a team mm-hmm. in the Portuguese league that, I mean, what? When's the last time a Portuguese team in the Champions League, and I might get slated for this because Benfica made the semifinals in like 2012, but like, let's, I, I don't remember them getting past the group stage, it feels like anymore. Well, so, for me, for me it's like my last memory of yeah. yeah. So, so what about you, Chaz? I really want to touch on that serial winner thing because I think it's so true. You know, I have, like, look, I was not watching football until I was 9, 10 years old. And so I have no connection to the 2004 Porto Champions League run. But it's also, like, as a Chelsea supporter, I have no experience watching, like, actually living through that first spell. So when he comes on and is the special one, when he is – you know, changes this Chelsea team and is like emblematic of the influx of Russian money. He creates the still greatest defense in Premier League history, a winning record that went across years. Uh, statistically, the greatest defense in Premier League history was well, Carvalho. John Terry and who? We won't get into it. But William Carvalho. William Carvalho. Okay. Conceded like Vidic and Rio Ferdinand, uh, well, Cole Campbell, look, Tony Adams. We, we can get into statistically, it. Statistically, the best defense, fewest concessions. But for me, my first image of Mourinho and also my first image of the Mourinho Guardiola rivalry is the 2010 Inter Milan Barca semifinal. And this, I think, sums up everything that is to love and to hate if you are an opposition manager, of, um, if you're an opposition fan. And in that, you know, this is a team that, you know, the wealth of attacking talent at Inter that season, you know, Samuel Edo, Diego Melito, a young Balotelli, Wesley Schneider playing literally the greatest football of his career, arguably should have won the Ballon d'Or that year. In the first leg, puts on a brilliant performance. It's, you know, end-to-end, it's goals. And then the second leg is characterized by a few key moments. I think the first is the infamous Busquets dive, you know, peeking through that gets the red card. And then it's just that, you know, Inter Milan compress and compress and are basically playing the most defensive style football you'll ever see, relying on long balls, relying on just getting the ball out. But then when the game ends and Inter Milan are going through to the final. Mourinho runs onto the pitch, stands in front of the 
Inner Milan traveling support in the Camp Nou, which are cloistered super far up in like the back tranches of the stadium and just hits a biblical pose. Victor Valdez comes over, tries to push him off, and Mourinho just stands there. And that image of Mourinho, I think, encapsulates his the peak. It's that we'll do anything to win. He'll do anything to infuriate the other team. And of course, they win the Champions League that year in Madrid, and he doesn't leave. He stays with Real Madrid for the next years. And that Real Madrid team was an attacking team. It was a, you know, I think the season they won the title or scored 120 goals or something, yeah. which is still a record tally, which is an yeah. insane stat if you think about the attacks that have come in the following 10 years in the Spanish league. But the images from the Real Madrid spell begin, you see this other side of Mourinho. And, you know, I think to the sideline scuffle where he gouges out Tito Villanueva's eye, the, you know, pushes uh, on Guardiola. And the intensity of this rivalry is ratcheting up because we've been talking about Mourinho, but at the same time, Guardiola has had, is becoming the face of this new style of football, this free-flowing tiki-taka Barcelona alongside Lionel Messi. And, you know, to push back a little bit on what you were saying, it's like, for me, it's like Messi and Ronaldo are definitely the two defining figures of this rivalry. But for me, it's like what makes the first three years of the 2010 so brilliant in this rivalry is that alongside those Titanic figures, you had Mourinho and Guardiola, and somehow they both encapsulated the same spirit. You know, Messi is calculated and cunning. He is quiet, quieter than Guardiola, but always seems like elevated above. Ronaldo is arrogant. He's brash. His style of play is flashy, but it's also calculated. And Mourinho seemed to channel that passion as well. Like the two of them together seemed, you know, like it, it, it just seemed like the two sides of a war. And going back and watching the highlights of those games, as I was thinking about this podcast, it's like, the intensity, the tackles, the just brilliance of a great rivalry. And, you know, from this rivalry, we really get, you know, Mourinho has established himself, but now we've got the established Guardiola. And, you know, we talked a lot about the Premier League. That's where, you know, we've watched the most football. And so from the Spanish League, you know, they both go their separate ways. Uh, Mourinho gets you know, has an unceremonious end to Real Madrid, but Guardiola leaves on a fairly big high and takes a year sabbatical in New York to like read philosophy and study the game in typical Guardiola fashion. Bayern Munich is his next destination, doesn't win the Champions League. But all this brings eventually Guardiola to Manchester City and Mourinho to Manchester United. Yeah. What would you... and before we talk about Mourinho at Manchester United, I think, you know, he does come back to Chelsea, does win that title, does end in horrific fashion. Chelsea in 16th, I think, when he's sacked. But I think United and City are really where the two paths begin to go in separate directions. And yeah. then yeah. Guardiola implants a DNA on City and Mourinho has not really been able to implant his DNA on a team since. So do you remember those City United games or what were, what were your thoughts when Mourinho took over United and Guardiola came to City? Because this was also the influx of the, you know, at that time, it, every world-class manager in world football, save one or two, was coming to the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was definitely interesting. I just quickly wanted to touch on Guardiola's uh Guardiola's legacy um mm. and because I my first memory of the two of them would actually have to be Barcelona Man U Champions League final mm. uh 3-1 to Barca oh my. and just that that Barcelona team Chaz I mean you could oh. I, I can still if you had a gun to my head I could tell you that starting 11 like automatically and same with you could argue the same with uh Madrid's lineup but that I mean the Iniesta, Xavi, Busquets midfield that never changed until like Fabregas came, right? And then the the Pedro, Messi, Villa 
uh, via, uh, via starting three, and then Puyol, Pique, uh, Dani Alves, and uh, Abidal. I mean, the the whole the whole team spectacular. And I remember that game, that game so vividly because uh, we were at a friend's house, and I remember mm. that that the David Villa's goal from just outside the box to the top right. And, and just a sheer amount of quality in that game. And again, it's not an incredible United team. You know, the Rooney-Chicharito striking partnership uh, and, uh, you know, Michael Carrick. It seems like ages ago these dudes were even alive. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just thought Pep, Pep was Pep's brilliance in that Barcelona team. I, I think your point is definitely heard that, um, well, of course, everyone speaks about Messi, Ronaldo, as, as what El Clasico was for at least, what, a good seven to – how many years was that even? Like, I want to say 10, but it might be a little bit shorter now. Uh, I mean, it was at least 2009, 2000 er, – what, what, Ronaldo went to – I don't know the exact dates. But point 2018, is, for 2018 Ronaldo leads. But, like, those and, nine and years. Was, it was nine years. So, all, yeah. pretty much a decade um, that, that we, were, we were blessed with that, uh, that matchup. Mm um but well, i actually want to talk about this this the champions league final like a little bit more because i totally agree with you in that yeah like yeah that is definitely the game where Guardiola, because you know i did not watch spanish football like regularly until very recently as you know i don't even know who well, you, you watched el clasico it was you watched you watch I just el remember watching el clasico every year and then the champions league semifinals and you see them in the champions league yeah and yeah watching that game because as people that are watching the Premier League, we were so used to seeing, you know, this legendary United team and they were all past their prime or, you know, at varying stages of their prime, but they still won the league title that year and looked yeah. super strong. And it was like the Barcelona was playing a different sport. It was messy yeah. was floating through. And I totally agree with you. That via goal like is etched in my memory like i remember where i was when i watched that goal his and like an unbelievable player but you know that moment is like so true in how it brought Guardiola into just like our imaginations because what he did and like the team and it also felt it wasn't just the players within the team but it was just yeah. this just like free-flowing just organism almost and yeah. the way it moved and and against as i had said earlier arguably one of the premier league's most uh defense you know vidich and, and ferdinand as I, as I had mentioned those are the two center backs that uh barcelona continuously uh broke uh and, and you know, ferdinand had- i mean ferdinand has talked about this game a lot and it's like yeah he was like yeah. he was like we just like you know and ferguson has regrets about this game is like, you know, telling them to approach it, you know, it's not like any, it's anyone else. And just, it's like a, a certain level. It's like, even this United team, we're like, Oh my God, this is a yeah. sport. This is a team that is playing at a higher pinnacle, but yeah. Totally agree so, so go into your question moreover. Um, Cause it felt like in my brain, how I think about it is Guardiola, Barcelona, brilliant. And then came to city and essentially was was the same 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 thing, um, and in terms of how I've ever how I've always thought of him in terms of just the, the style of football, and and I didn't I did I I just knew like it feels like forever ago that Pellegrini and these other managers even I, I don't remember the last time uh, you know City wasn't managed by by Pep. I mean I think everyone remembers Aguero, Aguero, <laughs> and and being like oh that wasn't Pep celebrating. Uh, with that team but I mean since the Roberto then, Mancini years yeah but the, I've completely forgot I mean that 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 doesn't mean almost anything to me um but exactly Guardiola so. yeah Guardiola coming to coming to City wasn't necessarily that, that I guess it was more of a surprise in terms of he hadn't ventured to the Premier League yet while Mourinho had definitely had his had his time here um I think Mourinho was a little bit more surprising because of what had happened post Mourinho with uh, post Ferguson with Man U, right? Yes. Um, you've had unsuccessful manager after unsuccessful manager, Van Gaal and Moyes being utter disasters, essentially, in the eyes of a Man U who had come off of yeah, Ferguson exactly. being arguably the most prolific manager in Premier League football, probably the most prolific. Um, and, and, and Mourinho comes in, he has, uh, 
not the most ideal first season, but that second season, I remember him coming in second. And that's kind of what everyone talked about was that brought an awful Man U team. Not an awful, but... And won the Europa League. <laughs> definitely. And won the Europa League. I, I forgot about that. Well, I, I remember they won it, but I just didn't know if it co- uh, collided with uh, their second place finish. But remember, he signed Nemanja Matic from Chelsea, his, his Serbian rock. Uh, he got... Romelu Lukaku from Everton, uh, probably the most uh, weathered uh, Premier League striker. And, mm-hmm. uh, and they carried out Mourinho's tactical uh, visions and, and, and reached second, um, which I think is an achievement. I mean, what? It was still 19 points behind uh, yeah. uh, Guardiola City. So I don't think there's really an argument to say that it, they were too close to winning the title. Slash they were even in a title race at any point. But uh, right now, with how the Premier League looks now, where top four is, I mean, more of an achievement than uh, I would do anything <laughs> to see Arsenal get back in that status. So second feels like miles away. Uh, and, 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 and he always taught what? Was it the famous uh, spur? What interview was it where he was like, uh, give me some respect. I, gave, I, I took menu awful, <laughs> awful man you team the second place. Like that. And, and everyone was like, yeah, <laughs> he got, he got the deserves yeah, that. Because that's what I was going to say. It's like, you know, he does have – he did get Matic. He does sign Lukaku. The Pogba thing we'll talk about. But the Man U team is, like, pretty bad. And the image I have is, like, you know, uh, the game that City need to win – or that City are, like, can clinch the title and they go 2-0 up. And then the furious comeback by United to win 3-2 and sort of deny this, like, final comic blow by City and just, like, hold off the inevitable for just a minute longer. Like, it really stuck with me. But, you know, I think Guardiola at City is, you know, that first season I watched, I was actually there in September, or late August, early September, and I saw Guardiola's City play West Ham. And even a month in, the patterns, the systems were there. And it took the, and, you know, obviously that year they struggle a bit. Chelsea's, you know, under Antonio Conte win the title. And what that happens next is, you know, something that a lot of people use as a slight of Guardiola in that he's never worked at a small club. You know, there is no Porto 2004. And that's not saying Porto's a small club by any means, because they're not. But he's never had to work with less resources than his rivals. He yeah. has managed three of the richest teams in the world. Yep. And the, after that first year, he's able to go to the board and say, you know, Kyle Walker, need him. You know, shore up the defense. Bring in, you know, Gabriel Jesus. Uh, yeah. Bring in some, you know, keep it. And have also the privilege of, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, who the club, you know, who is now remembered as, you know, a sort of bargain. But I think the the immediate reaction when City bought De Bruyne was, oh my God, how much money they they spent that much money on who? Yeah. You know, if you'd watched Wolfsburg and you'd watched Werder Bremen, you'd seen like how good he was. But like still, like in a pre-Neymar transfer market, that was a huge amount of money. Yeah, but yeah. Cities rec- and then the those next two seasons are probably as close as a team has gotten in the 2010s until Liverpool last season to perfection. Uh, those teams just absolutely destroyed, and they destroyed in a way that was different than Barcelona and Bayern had, and they pressed differently. They attack differently but it still felt like a Guardiola team and yeah you know if you're listening to this you know that Mourinho's you know United don't win the title and you know we it reaches this point where it's like it does doesn't it feels like the rivalry is not so much there anymore and I think that's especially true with what happens in the 27 2018 2019 season and 2019 2020 season in which the rivalry is not Gordiola Mourinho, but Gordiola Klopp. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, and and it sounds crazy thinking about 
like how we even acknowledge we're of course acknowledging that switch but how that kind of over like basically what what's the word like how how that that this rivalry completely overshadowed no one even i don't know when 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 I'm thinking about City Spurs, I'm not necessarily thinking about Mourinho. Uh, I, I mean, of course, it, it's it's there, but it's it doesn't carry the same weight as Klopp versus uh, Guardiola. Um, I think there's something really interesting to be seen in the fact that they both manage teams that get, have always been giving them tons of money. They they especially recently Mourinho's um, time in the Premier League has really been categorized by playing. I mean, Chelsea with Abramovich, Man U. You could maybe argue could have uh, spent even more, but but gave him, I mean, a ton of money to work with. Um, but I mean, specifically Guardiola, I'm looking at that 2017 2018 season where they got rid of four uh, senior fullbacks. He just he asked Kolarov, Kishinya, and Baleta, signed Walker and Mendy for what almost like a hundred, hundred million pounds, mm-hmm. um, and signed Ederson, who no one knew about. Uh, from Benfica, which remember the whole thing was the ball playing center back or goalkeeper, which was deemed a necessity, which hadn't really been a thing before that season. In my, I I've totally forgotten about Joe because this is right? Joe Hart. This and, is the end of Joe Hart, who is you know the exactly, face, the goalie exactly. of the early Man City teams. Yeah, yeah, and then and then to then go out the next season when they'd when they you know uh, it was a, that was the record breaking hundred point season, and to then just go to Leicester. A small team and just be like here's 60 mil for Mares just to essentially just be our bench you know star like the dude who comes on randomly uh and and, and scores a goal or so I, I mean like and all their placements successful I don't I didn't think Bernardo Silva was going to be that big of a deal for Monaco when they signed him he was decent but how many French league stars have we seen be literally irrelevant <laughs> in the Premier League uh mm-hmm. and, yeah. and I, I don't know They've all been hits, uh, and, and and the last thing, not last thing, but one of the other things that for me characterizes Guardiola is I, he. Whenever I, th- I mean, okay, specifically when thinking of Arsenal versus Spur, or Arsenal versus Man City, we always lose not only by one zero. He's never happy with even two zero. Mm. Most of our games are three or four. I, I mean, we're lucky to just prevent them from getting a clean sheet. Uh, I remember specifically the Carabao Cup final, where we got thrashed 3-0. And while people may argue Carabao Cup, no one gives a shit about that. I mean, I agree, but I mean, for any final, I mean, and we can, again, get into uh, Chelsea Arsenal Europa League and, and the embarrassment that that was, but, but uh, that, was, that was a statement. Uh, for me um, and, 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 and they continued and, I, and you don't really think I, I, like I, if you were to ask me right now can you tell me which year City were bad I probably would have told you they finished first or second every single year Guardiola was in charge and I know that's not true but it, it feels like they, they haven't or, I mean it might be true Jeez, I uh, think it is true I think it is is, it, is it first I, and second there must be, I swear there was one season where they the only like, season the only season that, that like the 2016 2017 was his first season uh and um yeah i don't uh, have the steps in front of me so i apologize to our listeners for oh they finished third they finished third the first okay i was gonna say third first first second yeah i was gonna say that would be pretty unreal if what i thought was (laughs) not true was true but uh yeah, you, you just don't really think of them having bad spells. They they, 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 they they may tie a game randomly to someone, and that's the worst. I remember as us playing them after a, a one-off tie against, like, Newcastle, and you were like, we are going to get slaughtered. Like, there's not even a chance that we don't, we don't, we don't, you know, that they don't come up to, pl- they don't come to play. So, uh, I don't know, Guardiola has been incredibly impressive. It's been really interesting seeing how he deals with Man City's just defense. That was definitely the thing he had to work, uh, he had to really uh, spend money on. And again, I mean, Ruben, Ruben Diaz doesn't, I mean, no one really knew anything about him, but, uh, and everyone thought, what, 63 million or however much it was. Mm-hmm. They're like, you're going to spend that, but not drop another 15 on Koulibaly. Everyone was like, well, what, what is, what is happening? And he is the real deal. And especially after, you know, he, he, uh, he signed Altamendi, not necessarily a success story. Right. But there, there, I won't act like there weren't the occasion. But like, 
uh, I'll flop. Say this, but I'll but, say this about Otamendi. But I'll say this about Otamendi. Otamendi gets into a PFA team of the year under Gordiola in 2017-2018. So it's like true. there are like okay. like like we that. can like I will make fun of Otamendi. Like you know the later part of his Premier League spell is like a lot of mistakes. But like at a certain level, it's like Gordiola does get the best out of players like this. Yeah. And like not to interrupt you, but I do want to just harken back to something that you go, said a little go. earlier. I, I was rambling. Yeah, which was that Gordiola about how when you're playing City, it's never the one zero. It's relentless. It is brutal. And it is brutal regardless of who you are. Like poor Watford, who had the distinct (laughs) displeasure of playing City in the FA Cup and getting just absolutely humiliated. I think they went like three straight games without scoring and a combined aggregate of like 20 to zero Um, again. And, you know, it's like those results, you know, a six zero FA cup win beating Chelsea six zero in the league beating, you know, just the relentless pressure. And it's what I think separates in a lot of people's minds, Gordiola from Mourinho because Mourinho is a, you know, a winner. We talked about him as a winner, but I think what a lot of people mean by a winner at heart is a like reserve, like a conservative winner. It's a guy who's yeah. very satisfied with the one zero. And as the years have gone by and football, it seems has changed. The emphasis on pressing is much greater than it was in the mid two thousands. It's you get, you know, you, you get the freak results. Like no one should really complain about, Tottenham sitting back and defending in the 83rd minute up 3-0 against West Ham. Like that 3 yeah. draw. But you can look at the Fulham result. You can go up 1-0 up early at Fulham. No offensive creation after that, and you give up an 87th minute equalizer. So it's this pattern that happens, whereas you watch Gordiola, and I had the pleasure, I don't know if you were watching the, I mean, you were watching the uh, Liverpool City game over the weekend. It's like these guys just the they were celebrating as aggressively as they were after the third as they were the first it is the repetition and the importance of every moment in the game is so true and it's you know i think on the you you were like you hate playing city after a draw or a loss that's why i was terrified of city this season because last season it's you know liverpool dominant City are in shambles. You know, the loss of Vincent Company is the defense, the midfield are all shaky. And then this season, you know, personally, I was expecting them to be fire out, hot out of the gate. They were my pick to win the Premier League from the first day. And then they didn't. And I think the important moment is the Ruben Diaz signing. And it's also just yeah. that, you know, Lindsay, you know, I watched a game with my girlfriend in November and we watched Tottenham beat City 2 0. That's the last time they've lost. <laughs> and I think that brings us to where we are now. It's that Tottenham are playing City this weekend. When they first played, Tottenham were title contenders. It yeah. was Mourinho has turned the ship around. Son and Kane are like the best strike partnership he's had since Benzema and Ronaldo. Um, and we're here. And we're here now and we're watching a city team annihilate. We're watching Pep Guardiola's names be rung into the heavens. And three months ago, it was, is Pep finished at City? Is, you know, is he going to move on? And is Mourinho back? And the narrative has yeah. changed. Yeah. 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 Completely. Um, I'm also just thinking about, you know, this idea of just like, I mean, and, and just the shock factor of when they lose. I mean, those two, the fact that Wolves did double against them last season, that feels impossible. Like literally impossible. And two of the best, most fun games to watch. I mean, those two Triore goals uh, again at the Etihad were, were special, but um yeah, and then also just really quickly, you you, you also point to uh, that Spurs City Champions League uh, draw. Uh, what was it in twenty nineteen uh, with the offsides calls and all, all the drama involved there? But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think we're it, it really is interesting looking at the two managers and their teams right now, uh, and and whether they are 
being still given the credit, uh, whether their legacy had, has been torn, right, with Mourinho, it feels like if he can go, if he goes on and maybe gets sacked next season, or hopefully not this season, but maybe next season with Spurs, and goes in this trend of two or three years at each club, maybe have a little bit of success, but not ultimately. I mean, if he does not win Spurs a trophy, I mean, Chaz, I don't know how you can call him a success for Spurs. I mean, if he doesn't win this EFL, which, wait, that is City Spurs in the EFL final. Oh, my God. Right? How did we? I mean, yeah. We, we are going like... to, I don't know how we haven't mentioned that, but I believe that's the matchup. And that, uh, 10 times more important for Spurs, at least, and Mourinho's career, in my opinion, uh, as Spurs, of course, uh, the empty trophy cabinet is is the the bane of their existence. It's what any anti any Chelsea or Arsenal fan cuts back to every single time is their lack of their their inability to win when it truly matters. Um, despite that Champions League final being a, a royal scare to my heart, uh, but they they're they're facing each other, and I think isn't it late February when when is that game? Uh, that okay, so this play. is why I yeah. totally forgot about this game is because it's usually in February and it's in late April now. Oh, I was going to say it's usually late February. Yeah. But yeah, you're, I mean, I, how I forgot that is a yeah. total affront yeah. in my preparation for this podcast. Apologies <laughs> to all of our dedicated listeners. Yeah. But I think this is, you know, I, I think this is totally true. And I think it's the luxury of winning a Premier League trophy is like Guardiola has, is that no one realistically at City is like, he has not delivered the Champions League, therefore he's a failure. Whereas at Tottenham, they're like the style of football that Tottenham have been playing, the atmosphere makes it either you win a trophy or like he's gone because yeah. you know Spurs fans are not ha- enjoying watching their matches this season, especially over the last few months. Like this is a team that is grinding out results. That they are not playing dynamic football. You know their two 0 win against City is you know what we talk about is like a Mourinho masterclass, but a Mourinho masterclass are shit games. Like Mourinho masterclasses are like defensive struggles where you let the other team like run all over you but just not get it the ball and the goal and then you hit them on like a quick counter that like might look good or you score like a corner kick or like whatever that's a Mourinho masterclass a pep masterclass is like a five is the five nil El Clasico victory it's the six nil FA Cup win it's you know these games and I think the flip side of that is it's partly why we explain their Champions League legacy so differently you know we talked about the Champions League final that that Pep won with Barcelona and it's still one less than Mourinho has with Porto and Inter Milan but neither have won the Champions League in a decade uh you know obviously Real Madrid under Zidane were dominant uh Bayern Munich won it last year Liverpool had won Real Madrid you know the winners are familiar yeah but it's like you know I remember watching, you know, the Lyon game last year for City. And, of course, the Tottenham game when they had Pochettino, the, you know, late ruled out Sterling uh, equalizer and, like, one of the craziest Champions League knockouts. But I feel like if you're a City fan, like, you can't really be like, ah, no Champions League trophy, no success. Because the, the team and the culture – it's not just a winning now yeah. system, but it's also just a blueprint. It is a institution. It is a pep team. It is a pep cult club, the signings, the Academy, the players that are being brought into the first team. It does seem like he, like the full organization is within this very narrow thing. Yeah. I think I, I, I while we've been talking, I have one main question for you, Chaz. Uh, and that is I'm looking at, their careers right um and specifically if you look at Mourinho's Premier League career when he has had success both times at Chelsea as you mentioned you had Carvalho uh and uh Terry right uh as your as your center back pairing yep. that was so ruthless and then in 2014-2015 when you guys won it was it Cahill and Terry who, who was who was the other center back 
uh, I think it was Cahill, right? That, that I'm looking it up right now. And mm-hmm. It seems like yep. it was Cahill. And then yep. you also Felipe Luis, Azpilicueta, Ivanovic, uh, ruthless defenders. Um, and then tons of quality up top. I mean, Hazard, uh, Oscar, and then you have Matic behind them. And then Drogba, arguably your most prolific striker of all time. My point being, and then, and then Guardiola, where we, we talk about the tiki-taka football as if it's so impressive. And it is because tactically he's allowed for that. But we also have to acknowledge that it's not as if he has never had the players to play. I mean, he's had, he, the, the, David Silva is arguably the greatest creative attacking midfielder of all time in the Premier League. I just feel like all both these both these men, I, I feel like if, if anything, Guardiola has proved that he can do so well when he has top quality uh, quality players at his disposal mm-hmm. um, and money, right? And Mourinho has also shown that he can do extremely well with qua- uh, top quality players, especially defenders. But right now, if you look at Man U's back line when Mourinho was in charge and Chelsea's back line, or sorry, Spurs back line. I mean, Alderweireld Weld and Dyer, I mean, nowhere near the same caliber as, as Chelsea's uh, you know, center back pairing, especially also Madrid with Ramos and... Uh, and, and let oh alone God. Inter Milan. Like, yeah, and, just... and so my, my question is, is if, if Guardiola had to... Because I, I will, to credit Mourinho, he hasn't... The, the, that Man U and Spurs team have not had, in terms of what Mourinho needs to have winning sides, They I don't think they have the quality. And they haven't have clearly, even though Spurs have spent a shit ton of money, and same with Man U, uh, they never got the quality. They never, they never ended up having successful signings. So was it down to Pep's signings, right, with Diaz being incredibly successful, with Walker being almost you know entirely necessary for City mm-hmm. success recently? Is it down to Guardiola's signings that have, have got him victory? Or is that, or basically, if those hadn't worked out, would have, would, can Guardiola achieve the same level of success? Can Guardiola do it without the, I mean, what, De Bruyne, I mean, the most, the, yeah. the, the, the best, the best attack? I just feel like Guardiola's always had, has always had the quality. I mean, it's the great, never... it's the great, I mean, it's the great question of the 2010s, I think, is, you know, what do these great, like, I mean, it's the great question of any fantastic manager. It's, can it's the player equivalent it's the managerial equivalent of can you do it on a cold rainy tuesday night at stoke (laughs) so it's can you manage stoke but i think like what you know you can't fault someone for taking the jobs and for only of course of course all these but at the same time it's like there's something about watching these players in a gordiola system that you still feel like there's something else and for De Bruyne, I think it's his deployment in like the sort of left side of this midfield trio, the creation of a new position for De Bruyne to thrive in. And yeah. the example I'm going to use from this season is John Stones. And John Stones is obviously a big money signing from Everton, comes in, and is a tremendous disappointment to a lot of City fans. True, true. Is like sent Initially. out to the cold. Yeah, is sent out to the cold. Like, Lord knows what he was doing for like a year and a half, like sent him off to like Siberia or like to some like Catalonian monastery or something. But this season, John Stones has benched Amaric Laporte. He is playing a super solid center back pairing. And I think a lot of that has to do with Diaz. They on their right side is Zhao Cancelo, who is playing a position that he has never played before. And this season is like the Gordiola's finished commentary from the start of the season. And then Gordiola's adaptations, the switching to this sort of like fluid three center back, three midfielder, like random rover in the middle. And also I think the last thing is the adaptations is the injuries that this team has gone through against Liverpool. Obviously the front three of Sterling, Mares, and Foden, is a tremendously talented attacking three. But at the same time, it's not a front three that you actually think conventionally should really work. It's, and if you do think it would work, you're thinking in like a pretty conventionally false nine, like the, you know, what met, what Pep did so well with Messi. But when you're watching it and the fluidity, it's like Foden is popping up on the right and the left wing. It cuts to Guardiola, like doing all of these. It's like something, some part of me finds it hard to take away from those accomplishments, even though 
the totally. players have gone. And the last thing I'll say on this is, and I think it's the final point of comparison I'll make between Mourinho and Guardiola, is the management of personalities. Because Mourinho's most expensive signing at Manchester United is Paul Pogba. And this ends with Pogba, like, not even in the squad. The personality feuds. And with Guardiola, you never really hear about that. And the ones you do hear, it's like, it's, it, it seems like they're unreasonable. It's like you find yourself on like sort of Guardiola's side, just intrinsically. Whereas Mourinho, it's like, you always feel like that it's, you know, it's second season Mourinho is the title and third season Mourinho is where the fights are breaking out in the dressing room. And yeah. it's part of a legacy that has been added since the fiery breakup with his players at Real Madrid. And it's very different than the scenes of when he was let go from Chelsea in 2007, 2008, where the players cried. Like John Terry talks about crying. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I don't know what's changed. I don't know what's different. But, like, the legacies are now at a point where both are unquestionably the two most successful managers of the 21st century. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Yeah. But, where to now? Yeah, but I mean, he's also burned those legacies, though. I mean, Man U fans hate him. Chelsea fans, yep. I would argue, a lot of them don't like him, right? Yep. I and mean, going to Spurs, you can't do that as a Chelsea fan. No offense. Or as a, as a, yeah, if Mourinho held his tendency. So, yeah, he's burned a lot of bridges. And I think that, again, as a somewhat of a neutral, but not entirely because he, he's, he's, he's managed some of my, uh, some of the teams I hate the most. Uh, it's it, it, it's it's entertaining, um, but yeah, I, I think that the 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 personality thing is 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 a big one. I think I'd I'd argue that the man to man training and, and and Pep's good relationship with his players was a, a lot down to Arteta being his assistant manager. But uh, I'm uh, you know I'll, I'll leave that for another day. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it I think it's fascinating. I think it'll I this game is on this weekend will be a big deal. But the the EFL Cup final, we should do another little shout out to this podcast because I, I think that'll be uh, almost even more of course more important but um it, it'll be fascinating to see how 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 that game flushes out but yeah i mean two two legends of 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 the craft uh and um and i will say see. back to your first point though damn a Mourinho interview compilation still hits uh Dude, they hit. And They're I can't so believe good. they hit for you being a Chelsea fan from a neutral. It's like, geez, the fires that burn in his uh, teams. I mean, there's there's nothing like it. Um, and I will just first say a little bit, to, his, to Mourinho's credit, Pogba, no manager would have an easy time yeah. managing Pogba. Yeah. With, yeah. with Raiola in the background, that is a that is a nightmare. Yep. Um, so so I I gotta give him a little bit of credit there. And I think my point when I when I proposed you the question of uh can Guardiola do it without a team, it's that that will definitely go down in history and hopefully we'll continue. Hopefully Mourinho uh stays at Spurs. I mean, I don't know. I don't know whether I if he if he keeps doing as poorly as he is, I hope he stays at Spurs. But uh we'll see we'll see how their careers flush out, especially in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll be right back with little wrap up on the Premier League and until then enjoy this one and one that will definitely go down in history and hopefully will continue hopefully Mourinho uh stays as I mean I don't know I don't know what I, if he if he keeps you know doing as poorly mean? as he is I hope he stays there. three new but also mean three premierships and I won more premierships alone than the other 19 managers together Three for me and two for them. Respect, 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 man, respect, respect. Briefly, it's been a crazy Premier League period. And of course, that's why we spent so long talking about Guardiola and Mourinho. Uh, It's been a time of managerial changes since we've last talked. Turner, I know you probably, you you were the one who sent me the first text. Ooh, Lampard out. And something that we knew was coming, so... So, I mean, Chaz, after what? How many games has it been? Four four games uh, out of 12 points available. Ten have been taken, um, including, 
I mean, whether you want to call it impressive, I don't know, from a neutral standpoint, an incredibly boring game versus Chelsea Spurs in terms of, well, not boring. There were, there were, there was attacking. Yeah, it was pretty boring. Uh, Chelsea had a lot of chances, but point being a one zero win with the one goal being a penalty uh, is yeah. never something. And, you know, if you told me that before the game, I probably wouldn't turn the game on, but point, Point being, still a point or three points uh, against the the arch rivals in London. So, how are you feeling about uh, Tuchel? Are you confident for the rest of the season? And and quickly looking yeah. ahead with Atletico, uh, mm, yeah. does that game? I mean, with Atletico doing as well, do you guys have a chance in that matchup? Whereas, on, no offense, but under Frank, I there's no way you're winning that. No way, no chance. Uh, first thing I'll say is I think Tuchel was the best possible appointment. I think I've always been someone who's loved his uh, teams. I think he, uh, you know, is the constant comparison is to Klopp because they both first two teams were Mainz and Dortmund. He succeeded Klopp at both. Um, and for me, you know, the first thing that we've seen from Tuchel is a three center back formation. It's you've seen Hudson and Doy at right wing. And I think for Chelsea fans, the a couple of positives has a been Hudson and Joy under Tuchel. Secondly, is that Mason Mount, I think is the real deal. I think Mount is easily a top three player on Chelsea right now. He's playing better than he did at any point last season and is playing in a system that's ostensibly not built around him. You know, you can't say he's Frank's son anymore is the common trope. I think the real thing is, you know, the sample size of games is troubling, not troubling in that it's limited in that, none of those teams actually are attacked us there. They were all pretty conservative wolves, especially the Tottenham game. I agree with you as a total bore. Uh, and today was actually an interesting one because Barnsley come out with guns a blazing, nothing to lose. And I think expose a lot of the inconsistencies of the three of the back system. You know, there's a reason that uh, Alonzo got subbed off at half. It's the guy is in, very good looking going forward but as soon as you are signing runners behind him shout out daryl dk who scored two goals against wake forest like a little more than a year ago and was playing against chelsea today which is an insane stat but when you've got him running behind you it's you know it exposes a lot of the problems so as you know i'm optimistic i think i think ben chilwell and reese james as wingbacks is like a very good situation i think the other situation where Reese James plays right center back is a little less ideal to me, but I think the other main concern though, is that, you know, I do think that at least one of the strikers is not going to be here next year. And I don't know, and, or in the next few years, it's, there's definitely a surplus of attacking talent and there's also a surplus of like not great attackers. Yeah. It's, I don't really see a world in which Werner and Havertz, leave that definitely won't happen but it's also you know did i lose your turn mm. okay uh, okay no worries but surplus of attacking talent uh polisic is not playing well ziek is not playing well havertz is like injured or something warner is like playing okay tammy abraham is weirdly playing like the best out of all of them Giroud's definitely not going to last like a year and a half more. So there's going to be tough decisions that are going to be made, I think. But I think I'm very optimistic. And I think it's going to be, you know, uh, this Atletico game. Uh, the more COVID news out of Atletico, the better our chances, given that they are literally just every player, it seems, on that team has COVID. Uh, but hear about that. That's crazy. Oh yeah, like the entire like John Felix has COVID, like Dembele, like all of them. Um, uh, it seems uh, like Lucas Torreira might finally get a start. Lucas Torreira <laughs> finally gets a start at Atletico Madrid. Uh, I, yeah, I was looking at his stats. That's a little. But I think the other you know managerial storyline is you know there was a window where Arsenal looked quite good. Emil Smith Rowe came into the GM. They were playing with another sort of ten uh, and. In the last few games, some pro, you know, a little slide back turner. What do you make of this, you know, little slide in form and then, you know, Arteta in the future? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think the fact that he got through that awful spell in November and December has won him a lot of, a lot of credit, at least in my heart. And I feel like a lot of Arsenal's uh, fans' heart, but also, again, kind of 
kind of put us back in the reality of where team is. And I, and I, and I, the Wolves game was very frustrating. I think I think you have to acknowledge that both games were pretty frustrating. Yeah, the Wolves yeah. game I think being and the Wolves game was almost really an anomaly. I mean, yeah. uh, the fact that two two red cards in a game, um, the Louise one. I mean, I mean, not, everyone's seen it. Everyone knows about the game, but just just quickly that like the when you Arsenal essentially playing their best the best half of football I've ever seen. Really, we should have been four or five up, only one zero up. With two minutes added on ha- in, for the halftime whistle to be blown, and and a, a awful people don't acknowledge the awful lapse in judgment for Louise to go for that uh, for to go for the goal kick, so he's completely out of position. But then lapse in judgment to possibly give the ref the idea that it was a penalty. Uh, but in general, I I don't know. I I I think it was incredibly soft, and the fact that it was a red card, I just think that in that position. Uh, especially after VAR, whatever. There are a lot of frustrations with, with VAR in that decision because it completely changed the game. And it's also just funny that Wolves' the second goal was like one of the most elite strikes of all time. Like if you're 10, if you're if it's 11 versus 10, you'd expect like maybe something to pass in the net. But of course, it's like Matinho's like Matinho takes that game to like hit one for 40 yards. Whatever. That was that. There were a lot of frustrations with that game, and the Villa game just felt like a lot of what November and December was, except again, we played, I think we played really well. A lot of Arsenal fans were super critical of, of our attacking play. And of course we didn't score, but I, I, I just thought the way Odegaard fit, uh, fit in and, and Arteta was incredibly positive attacking wise. He took so many defenders. I don't know. We're, 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 we're a tough team. We, we clearly saw that uh, Tierney being out for the past few games has been a big blow, and Party still is like weirdly off form. So we have we have a lot of injuries, and we and uh, you know Aubameyang's uh, family thing has kept him on the sidelines for the past four games. So we'll see. I think this team's just super young, and and I've kind of I think everyone's just written off a season. I'm just kind of excited for maybe a Europa League run, and maybe a. a to get some payback on on some of our rivals towards the end of the season, but I, I don't expect. I'm just hoping for maybe top six again, uh, and 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 there's no FA Cup or EFL Cup to even think about. So yeah. um, I don't know. I just think weirdly because he survived that bad spell, I've given him the season, uh, which is interesting, uh, and and don't really care. I think is if anything, the frustration from the past two games is just that if we had won both of those, which are somewhat winnable games. Where would we be? You know what I mean? With the table being so crazy this season, I think we'd maybe even be talking about Arsenal being a top four contender, which sounds crazy. So, I don't know. Uh, it, it it seems like a one off, and I'm hoping that this summer, summer we can do something because uh, we've we've we're finally getting rid of a lot of the dead wood, and it seems like maybe Ed Edu does know what he's doing. So that's kind of my take. Mm-hmm. Finally, just finally, tries. We have to just quickly acknowledge Liverpool, Man City, and what an insane game that was. Uh, yeah. and I mean, we it, talked about it earlier. Yeah. The relentless pressure. What the fuck was Allison doing? I think the best commentary I saw was this Arabic commentator who just sort of laughing when he passes the ball to Bernardo Silva at the end. Um, obviously, I, you know, I almost wrote an article this week about uh, Jurgen Klopp's attitude, and like, you know, um, like the how he's getting increasingly nasty almost mentioned it and before realize before learning about the very tragic death of his mother um which is an extraordinarily sad tale and how he's not been able to travel home but the game i think you know firstly i think it i think city are the clear runaway favorites now uh but um yeah an insane game insane performance by city i think a clinic impressing i don't know what else you took away from it but like also, okay, Gundogan is literally a god amongst men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you, you touched on all the right points. If anything, I'd like to maybe propose a question on next podcast. On uh, a lot of talk has been about um, whether Liverpool have their excuses are, are 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 worthy. Whether their injuries are something that basically justifies really a lack of, I uh, just you know, lack of intensity, a lack of pressure, a lack of quality um which i think is interesting because clearly liverpool have not been anywhere near the, the same uh team as, as we saw last year and and what does that boil down to can, can we blame it on the defensive injuries i think you can to an extent but i think klopp is definitely running his mouth a little too much what that that, that two week just quickly 
the 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 complaint about City having the COVID break because uh, like that was ridiculous. And I think it really again uh, uh, with everything going on with him, he he's a lot of other stuff to deal with and 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 uh, condolences uh, to his family. But I thought was I don't know if if I already wasn't frustrated with him and what he says, I thought that was pretty uncalled for. But we'll save it yep. for next time. Well. We'll say for next time, Turner, thank you so much for being on. It's been a pleasure to talk about Mourinho, Guardiola, and football as always. Uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, Turkman Turner, Chazhorn11, and Heads in the Game. Uh, there'll be an article up this weekend about Manchester City's rise, and that'll go along with this podcast. So read along, listen along, and t- until next time, thank you for joining.